0: From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President, April Kapu. And this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. May 8 through 14 is National Women's Health Week, and the month of May is Women's Health Month. AANP recognizes the unique health concerns of women, including preventative care, such as well women exams, contraceptive care, and screenings, including breast cancer screenings and cervical cancer screenings. The scope of women's health care also includes adolescent health care, pregnancy testing, fertility evaluation, prenatal visits, postpartum care, and menopausal care. What's particularly important to note is that there are significant barriers to access to healthcare for women. Nurse practitioners, like our guest today, are addressing these barriers to improve care and increase access. Our guest today is an esteemed fellow of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. She is an assistant professor at Texas Tech University Health Sciences, El Paso and is the owner of a clinic in New Mexico providing integrative medicine and gynecology services for women. I am so happy to welcome Dr. Christy Blanco. Welcome to NP Pulse, Dr. Christy Blanco. It's so nice to have you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. I am just thrilled. I'm thrilled that you accepted our invitation, and we are so excited to speak a little bit more with you, particularly because it is Women's Health Month, and you are truly the expert when it comes to women's health, and we want to hear a lot more about women's health and how we can improve health outcomes and we can educate uh, women about health Um, But first, we really want to know more about you. So tell us a little bit about what you do as a nurse practitioner, how many years you've been in practice. Tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Well, thank you very much for allowing me to be here today. I'm incredibly grateful. So I am a women's healthcare nurse practitioner. And so as a women's healthcare nurse practitioner, of course, I was initially a nurse and I graduated back in 1997 as a nurse. And I worked in labor and delivery for about five years. And then at that time after that, I became a women's healthcare nurse practitioner. And I started doing obstetrics and gynecology. I Absolutely enjoy I loved doing so much of this women's health. It was definitely became a passion of mine. It brought me to El Paso, Texas, and where I've been seeing where I saw women on the border on the El Paso, New El Paso, New Mexico, Mexico border. And it's been a wonderful experience seeing. Ob and gyn, and probably about in 2010, I, I had a lot of women asking me about bioidentical hormones, mm-hmm. and I just kept thinking, "What is that?" I, you know, and initially I'd say, "Oh no, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in it. Don't believe in it." Okay. But finally I said, "What is it?" I did not know what it was, so that kind of set me out on a venture to figure out where, you know, what is bioidentical hormones? And it took me to a lot of different education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because at that time, you know, you're hearing all about Suzanne Summers and what it is that, you know, bioidentical hormones feel great. And at the time, remember, the Women's Health Initiative came out. And, you know, all of a sudden, in back in 2002, 2003, we went to no hormones. So that took me on a venture to figure out what is this bioidentical hormone? What is the research? say. And that took me to studying a lot more about hormones and realizing there's definitely some research out there that hormones are not necessarily bad and women are suffering needlessly due to this inaccurate information. And so that kind of set me out to start my own practice to do a lot more management on hormones and hormone imbalances. And so, and I've been practicing pretty much a lot hormones since probably about 2015, doing a lot on hormones. And uh, and so, and I started my own practice since that time. And that I've really enjoyed doing this because I, I truly believe there's so much inaccurate information out there on hormone imbalancing, and women are suffering needlessly due to hormone imbalances. So that's been
0: kind of my career with hormones. Okay, and women's health. It sounds like you really found your calling, so to speak. Mm. And that I didn't know that you. Um, we're working with women on the border I think that is fantastic uh, so much mm-hmm. of what we as nurse practitioners do is make sure that we're increasing access to cal- uh, access to care to everyone everywhere and in your case certainly women everywhere I um, you mentioned Suzanne summers and 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 definitely I remember uh, that's definitely my error and, and here, you know, grew up with her and Three's company and all of that. But I don't know that everybody knows the story of Suzanne Summers. So for our listeners, can you just update us? Tell us a little bit more about Suzanne Summers. So she's
1: been a bit of a pioneer when it comes to hormone therapy. After the Women's Health Initiative came out, she really pushed forward and said, you know what, hormones are not necessarily bad. There's research out there, and there's providers out there who can do who can do hormones. Mm-hmm. And so when we say the term bioidentical, bioidentical is just a term, meaning the same way your hormones are going to react naturally is the same way these hormones are going to react in your body. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of coined, I guess you could say, that term. And and there are FDA approved medications that are bioidentical. There's a big, um, there's a big kind of thinking out there that bioidentical means that they're compounded hormones. Compounded hormones can be bioidentical, but there are FDA-approved hormones out there. So she was kind of this guru, I guess you could say, that really pushed this forward, and she sold a lot of books, and a lot of women were reading her books and listening, and I, if you were doing women's health, you just got to the point to where if you were not studying this, then women were going to find a provider that knew what this was, knew what Suzanne Summers was talking about, and what supplements you could take to just kind of help balance out your hormones just a little bit better. Because we weren't hearing that from our providers, a lot of, or at least a lot of uh, patients were not hearing. Uh, about what kind of hormones they can be taking, what might be the safest hormones, and what Suzanne Summers was talking about. Because it was just, it was kind of a new term for us, bioidentical hormones. But it's just a term meaning your own hormones. You would take a medication or a hormone replacement that would act the same way in your body that would be naturally done. It would hit the same estrogen receptors. And so that's what women were looking for. And women were looking for to to make them feel better. They were still suffering from hot flashes, depression, anxiety, just not feeling themselves, sometimes brain fog. And she came out with this term and said, we can look into taking hormones all over again. Yeah. And so she really set that record for women and women pushed for it and because of that, providers needed to go and get educated on this area to meet the needs. right
0: that's that's pretty much what it needed to occur. Okay, so this is interesting. So she's a celebrity and she dug into mm-hmm. this on her own and then she really put some of her celebrity power behind it. So now you've got the public, that are asking lots and lots of questions about it. And so what you did was say, okay, I've got a lot of patients coming in here asking me about it. I need to go and dig into the evidence and the research behind this and find out um, all of the medical um, background so that I can really educate my patients in much more of a scientific way. And I, um, Christy, I was looking at your website Um, as we were getting ready to talk today. And I was really moved by one of your quotes. And you said, everyone has the right to education regarding their mind, body, and soul to achieve the highest quality of life. And that your mission is to educate as many women as possible about hormone balancing, wellness, prevention, and their bodies so that women can feel at their best. And so it's uh, just in the conversation so far... It sounds like you found your calling working with women and women's health, and then all of this was happening um, in that time frame, and then you started yourself doing your own research as a healthcare provider so that you could educate properly, because they're coming to you, they trust you, they trust you as their nurse practitioner, and they know that the information that you're sharing with them is, is accurate and it's evidence-based. So I, I just love the fact that you did that and that you're um, able to provide that care now to women. So you mentioned um, some of the symptoms. So why would um, a one of your patients come to you and s- ask you about hormones, or what would be these symptoms? So could you kind of start us at the top? because our listeners are all ages, um, new NPs, retirees, NPs that have been in practice for a long time. There's men, there's women. Um, Some are menopausal, postmenopausal. So if you could start at the beginning, what are symptoms that would lead you to wonder that you might have a hormone imbalance? So um that's such a great question. So probably the number
1: one thing that women think of whenever they're suffering from menopause is hot flashes, okay. night sweats. You know, once we start to lose that estrogen, our ovaries stop producing that estrogen or it starts lowering, that's probably one of the biggest side effects that women suffer. But some of the other side effects that I love that I'm starting to see a lot of women come to me, they might all of a sudden, they're in their late 30s okay. maybe, and all of a sudden they're suffering from some depression and anxiety that came out of nowhere. And, and they just feel like maybe it's their hormones. Uh, that weight gain. As well. I get women coming to me a lot during the perimenopausal years. Probably the biggest thing during the perimenopausal years is that women are being told, oh, you're too young for menopause. It's not menopause, it's not perimenopause. But the problem is, is the average age of menopause is 52. So women can be suffering from perimenopausal symptoms for 10 years prior to that. So maybe in their early 40s or even late 30s, let's say they do go through menopause, you know, much earlier than 52, then they might be suffering from some of the symptoms. I definitely see women complaining about weight gain. Um, And they say they eat the same, they exercise the same, but they're starting to see some of the increase in the weight and they don't know where it's coming, especially around the abdominal area. And they say it's just kind of shifting. And that, yes, there's some research to even show without a doubt that the estrogen, low estrogen, it starts to, the fat starts to accumulate more in the mid-center once that estrogen starts going down. So um, so some women start to experience some weight gain, some depression, anxiety. I will see some Night sweats as well, and some hot flashes. Other things. Sometimes women just get a little bit of brain fog, or they just notice that they're, they're not quite as sharp as they used to be. They're also going to start noticing sometimes the skin starts to wrinkle. They they just don't have the plumpiness that they used to have, and so estrogen has f- over four hundred different functions in the body, and so they start to see so many different symptoms. Um. I know arthritis can be a symptom as well, headaches from a hormone imbalance. And then what a lot of women start to suffer during their perimenopause years is before their period starts, they might suffer from more what's called PMS, premenstrual syndrome, because the first hormone women lose is their progesterone. Progesterone seems to be the first hormone that starts to decrease, and that's highest right before their period. So, they might find that they have more breast pain, more uh, more cramping, more irritability. And so we start to see that as well during their perimenopausal years. The definition of menopause is one year, no period. When a woman goes one year without a period... That's the definition of menopause, and again, the average age is fifty-two. Should end by fifty-five. Women's hormones, or they need to stop their periods by fifty-five, and that's when the hormones, and that's when the ovaries pretty much stop working. When you can go one year without a period, but prior to that, women can be suffering from symptoms. Of menopause and sometimes not realize it or just be told, "All right, you need an antidepressant." And I'm certainly not anti-antidepressant, but women sometimes feel it's their hormones and they want their hormones checked to see what is, what are the hormones. You know, what could it look like? The only problem is, is during the perimenopause years, perimenopausal years, hormones can be very. Erratic, mm-hmm. up and down, one day high, one day low. So it, it can be challenging to actually measure somebody's hormones during while, while they're still menstruating, um, when they're not in menopause. Uh, but usually what I find is a lower progesterone right before their period. And so if that's the case, we can supplement it. But, you know, but in these type of situations, I tell patients, even though your hormones might not show that, you know, show that you have a low progesterone, you can still be suffering from those low symptoms. So we go, I, I prefer to go a lot more based on symptoms and trying to look into that. What kind of symptoms are women suffering? Headaches as well, right before their periods can be a perimenopausal symptom. So that I'd probably say that's probably the biggest reason women come to me during their perimenopausal years, because they know they're not crazy, but they're feeling something is different and they know something's different. And they just don't feel like, depression has just, or anxiety has just come on. It's not something that they've suffered from, but now all of a sudden they're feeling it and they want to know, is hormones playing a role? That's probably the biggest things.
0: And I think that's so great that they can come to you and Um, you're giving them accurate information as their nurse practitioner and 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 christy you um, as you said earlier you've had so many years of experience and then the additional women's health um, np education the training um, you're nationally board certified You've had years of experience in practicing there, and then you've also um, been taken part of advanced fellowships in metabolic and nutritional medicine. So when they come to you, they know that they're coming to an expert. I think that's wonderful that they feel comfortable and they are seeking out a provider that they can trust. So, um, so you mentioned, so they come in, they have these symptoms, and it's not as easy as just taking a lab sample or anything like that, you really have to ask a lot of questions. The assessment is very detailed because you're really investigating all of those symptoms to really figure out what that hormone imbalance is, right? Mm-hmm. And right. Um, so so tell us, you know, so let's just say you kind of have a good idea based on your assessment, your evaluation um, talking to them a little bit more, um, you know, the physical exam, all of the different things that go into your um, assessment process. And, and, you, and you come to a conclusion that it could be a certain type of hormone imbalance. What next? What, what happens next? What, are there, is there just one type of hormones? or I mean, what happens from there? So, and it really depends on what stage
1: they are during their reproductive, perimenopausal, menopausal stages. But then, um, and I probably say, I kind of, what I do is I assess their fear factor for hormones. Because, you know, I tell everybody, you don't have to have hormones. There are other options. And a lot of times women want to come to me for, you know, herbal treatments, supplemental therapy to see if maybe that might work. You know, and absolutely, I tell them, this is something that can be tried. When it's compared to, you know, whenever we look at the, at herbals and supplements and compare it to medications, it's, you know, it's not, it's definitely not superior. Definitely the medications can be superior. And it really just depends how badly they're suffering. I will tell you this right now. Sometimes when I just validation, just providing a patient validation that yes, you do have a hormonal imbalance. Sometimes that alone is enough and a patient doesn't even want any kind of treatment. And then from there, you know, I, I will evaluate to see, okay, is, you know, something that might be an herbals or supplements could be an option. The next thing is, is any risk factors associated with hormone therapy, does somebody maybe have a blood clot, a bleeding disorder? You know, do they already have cardiovascular disease? You know, are they contraindicated for hormones? And if so, there are different types of medications um, and specifically, to, to be specific, it's an antidepressant that works pretty well for perimenopausal and menopausal symptoms. And so sometimes, you know, women choose that area, you know, just as long as they know, okay, this is a hormone imbalance. But this sometimes the they do tend to work for a lot of my patients. Uh, some of the antidepressant medications can work pretty well. And then after that, it's hormones. And so we really, what I wanted, Do is I want to assess where are they at when it comes to treatment if they do want hormones. Because if they're still menstruating, then sometimes they just need just a progesterone, just right before their period, to kind of help balance it out. You know, sometimes that could be one treatment option. Another treatment option to just kind of balance out some mood if they're dealing with some pretty bad PMS or premenstrual um, syndrome they sometimes even just taking an antidepressant during that time frame could help as well or sometimes they might feel better if they just take it every day if they are in menopause and that means, you know, they've gone one year without a period, and I usually have hormones to verify that their estrogen is really low, their progesterone is really low. You know, then what I do offer is we can offer hormone replacement therapy. And there's many different forms of hormone replacement therapy. And so the generally the rule of thumb, if somebody has a uterus, then they need estrogen and progesterone. If somebody does not have a uterus, then they can have estrogen alone, but sometimes estrogen alone does not cover some of their symptoms because low progesterone also has some symptoms and so i always tell women you know your body is not just your uterus it is not just your uterus so if you do suffer from low progesterone that can still be added but it's not necessary if somebody does not have a uterus because what happens is estrogen will help build up the lining of the uterus and we know if we don't counteract it with a progesterone then cellular changes could occur, and there could be an increased risk factor of uterine cancer. So both of those do need to be added if somebody has a uterus. But without a uterus, then that can be changed. And then the mode of transmission, or the probably not the best word, mode of transition, but exactly what happens how we want to give the estrogen because estrogen can be given as a pill. It can be given as a patch or as a gel, you know, and then of course it can be compounded in several different ways, but currently the FDA has estrogen as a pill, a patch, a vaginal um, insert as well, because sometimes vaginal dryness is the only symptoms women have. And sometimes that's all that they want is some sort of estrogen vaginal cream, um, you know, or they actually want it to cover their entire body. So they'll take a patch or a pill, you know, or, you know, a gel, whatever it is that they would prefer. And, um, And so generally my preference has always been, to provide estrogen in um, not in an oral route, and this is specifically for my menopausal patients, but via either a patch or a gel. And the reason is is because when you take estrogen by mouth, then it does go, it passes through the whole cascade of events, it'll go through the liver, and then that's where we've seen an increase in the cardiovascular events. But, however... We do know that a low-dose oral estrogen pill and then the tra- and a low-dose transdermal, meaning on the skin like a patch or a cream, has been shown to have less incidence of cardiovascular events. And, um, and so those are usually my choices whenever it comes to estrogen routes, either a patch or a gel. Okay. okay. And then the progesterone has it's usually given by a pill. It's usually given by a pill. Okay. You know, if somebody's going to take the progesterone.
0: Now, is this affordable? Cuz I know you have a wide range of patients and maybe some are uninsured. Is this affordable? Is this covered by insurance? What a great question. So, so the answer to
1: that is Usually, insurances want to cover the oral pills first, without a doubt. So it's you could it could be a fight for that. You know, it can be a fight. And then, of course, you know, I've got patients who do prefer to take a pill. And um and if so, if somebody doesn't have insurance, they can take um they can take the pill. And usually, the pill at your Walmart, if you use the generic brands at your Walmart or your your general you know supermarket is at a at a price that can be much more affordable. And I do find, you know, some women who prefer to have a gel or a patch if insurance is not covering it, it can be a little bit it can be a little bit high. And what I what I mean by high is women could pay about a hundred dollars a month. Possibly, if their insurance doesn't cover it or they are uninsured. And in those type of situations, sometimes that's where, you know, hormones can be compounded because it's usually generally cheaper in those type of situations. And it just depends on the compounding pharmacy that you choose. Um, I prefer to choose to use the compounding pharmacy for incidences where maybe a patient is allergic to a certain component of um of an FDA-approved medication, kind of like the bioidentical progesterone. It's a micronized progesterone. It is FDA-approved, but it's micronized with peanut oil. And so sometimes women are allergic to peanut oil, and in that situation, it does need to be compounded. And that's why I'm very grateful for my compounding pharmacies because then they can make a micronized progesterone without the peanut oil. Uh, And so, so that's one instance where you know, we might use a compounded version. But generally, insurances, I haven't come across too many problems with insurances lately uh, with covering hormones. But I would definitely say the oral estrogen and, and the oral progesterone or progestins are relatively inexpensive for most women without insurance at your local supermarket.
0: I think it's so uh, wonderful, uh, Christy, that, um, and it just, it is just to the power of nursing and being a nurse practitioner that you really take into account that as well. So it's not simply here's a prescription goodbye. It's, can you afford this? Are you insured? What, and, and if you're really having that conversation with the patient so that they're very engaged in the decision as well. I think that is just wonderful that you provide that additional uh, care uh, that we don't often see. So I had this patient and she was still menstruating,
1: but she would just say, I know I've gained weight. I promise you I've gained weight. Something is just not right. And so she was still menstruating and she was 42 years old. Mm This patient, she came in and I said, okay, well, let's go ahead and measure your hormones. And, and I'm very specific what times I like to measure the estrogen, you know, about once their period starts, about two or three days after that, you know, and then about On day 20 to 21 after their period starts, then I want to measure their progesterone. And what we noticed was this patient had a very low progesterone, almost non existent. And she kept telling me, I am suffering from anxiety, depression right before my period, and I am suffering from weight gain. And I said, Okay. I said, well, how about this? If you want to, we can go ahead and try some bioidentical FDA approved micronized progesterone and you can get it, you know, at your normal convenient pharmacy that you would like. And you take it for 10 days prior before your period. And let's just see how you feel. And so she came out and she said, About, you know, I saw her about two months after that. I said, let's give it two months. We tried it and she came out and she said, I feel so much better. She said, I'm sleeping better. I didn't even realize I wasn't sleeping good. You know, my husband is telling me I am not being cruel. I am not being mean. (laughs) I feel calmer. I just don't feel that depression and then that anxiety. And And all we did was give her 10 days before her period started of an FDA-approved micronized progesterone. And she took it at bedtime for 10 days, one pill at bedtime. And then she would start her period, and she'd feel... Because that's when she would feel bad, about 10 days prior. So I said, let's just start that beforehand. And so that's one example for my perimenopausal symptoms, for my perimenopausal patients. That's a great example. Another... Yeah. Uh, thanks. Another example for my menopausal patients, you know, so I had this patient, she did not have a uterus. And what we do know is that African American women according to the studies, have been shown to suffer from menopausal symptoms for longer. When we look at the studies and women come to me and they say, oh, I know I can suffer, you know, how long How long am I going to suffer from menopausal symptoms? How long? And I said, okay, well, the average is going to be seven years, but I can't tell you you. But I can tell you, um, African-American women do tend to suffer for a longer period of time, according to the studies. And so I had this one patient and she just flat out, you know, she was just afraid of it. She didn't have a uterus, but she said, I can't stop my estrogen. She said, if I stop it, I am miserable. And she was already well into her 60s. She had started hormones and it was a low dose estrogen patch, FDA approved that she would just get her at her local pharmacy. She had started the patch 20 years prior when she had gone through menopause. And, um, and so what happened is she said she kept trying to stop it, but she just couldn't. And she said, and she came to me and she said, I just want to make sure I'm okay. And, and so what we do is we weigh the risks versus the benefits. We know because she started estrogen at the beginning of menopause that she was that at the very beginning of menopause and what I mean within 10 years of menopause That she did not have the same cardiovascular risk factors as somebody who went 10 years of menopause not taking hormones and then adding a hormone. Mm. Because she had been consistently taking the estrogen, she just did not have those same risk factors. And so, and I evaluated her labs to make sure that her cholesterol was controlled, you know, and that everything else looked okay. And I reassured her that she is not contraindicated. She can continue to take it. The benefits outweigh, you know, any kind of risks associated with taking it. And I just gave reassurance and she felt so much better because she said she would love to stop. It's just the symptoms are so intense. And she was already on a very low dose estrogen patch. And, you know, all she wanted was reassurance to make sure it was okay. And after looking at her labs, talking to her about some of the research that has shown since she's consistently taken it, we're just not seeing those increased risk factors for the cardiovascular events. She had,
0: she felt so much relief. Such a good example of personalized care. So every individual is different And you just really took the time to see what was the right care for her. That's a wonderful story. Thank you. So, Christy, how do we find out more? Do we have um, any um, continuing education modules through AANP? Are you um, speaking at one of our conferences? How do we find out more about um, what you do, uh, women's health, and in particular, our topic today, which was hormone therapy? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So AA, I, I have done a couple of talks, and I know that they've been on um, on the continuing education. So one of them I did, I talked about hormone therapy. Okay. The other one I talked, um, I did talk about the gut microbiome related to obesity. One of the things that I'm going to be working on, because I've definitely been asked from a lot of the people um, who are managing the obesity, because they pretty much said, you know, this is this is something that they know exists, weight Gain in menopause, and uh, and so I know I've definitely been asked to speak on weight gain in menopause, and what are the studies that are out there to show? that yes, this is something that can occur, and why is that? So I'll be looking to talk about that in the near future for AANP. Um, But yes, definitely the continuing education on the AANP uh, website is a great place to start
0: off with when it comes to hormones for anybody who wants to get educated on hormone therapy. Sounds wonderful. So RCE Center, and then it sounds like we've got some upcoming Material coming out. So we'll look forward to that. And Christy, thank you for all you've done with AANP over the years. You have served in so many different ways, um, from being a state rep to being on committees and speaking and publishing. Thank you for all that you've done for AANP. And to our listeners, please check out the CE Center and happy Women's Health Month. Thank you very much. Thank you, Christy. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today. The work you are doing is so important, and we are grateful to have had this time to talk with you about the many, many facets of women's health care. To our listeners, please check out the podcast description on whichever platform you are listening for links to resources from this episode. AANP has resources for NP wellness, women's health, and much more on our website. I want to urge you to become a part of your national professional association and add your voice to the 121,000 of our NP colleagues nationwide, along with giving you access to many member benefits. AANP membership supports advocacy efforts for nurse practitioners and our patients on critical issues like full and direct access to care, equity in payment, and changes to outdated laws and regulations. Please subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the Nurse Practitioner.